Okay. <clears throat> well, good evening. Um, tonight's message is uh, titled Father Knows Best. Um, which every message could be that title. But it's in the sense that the Father, we're going to see what the Father, God our Father, <clears throat> is writing through James uh, to tell us how to interact with him how to listen to him um, and how to hear what he has to say to us. So uh, today I'm going to start, it's, it's a two-part message, but it's going to be uh, today and the next week is just going to be a communion message because uh, we're going to be out of town helping my mom move back here. And then uh, the second part of this will be the week after next. So but it's going to be a two-part message. It really starts a section in James's letter where he's going to be contrasting two realities. And actually, he kind of already started this pattern when he contrasted the lowly brother and the rich man. Uh, but we will see him go to contrast the doer and the hearer, uh, faith and works, God's wisdom and worldly wisdom. And there might be some more things in James where he's he just likes to do these contrasts. But today we're going to focus on James' exhortation to us on how to not fall victim to a life in which the truth is heard but is not lived. That separation between the truth and the life that I'm sure we've seen in others and we've experienced in our own lives as well. One of the greatest tragedies about when we are living this disconnect from the truth is that it is displayed in public um, for all to see. And I'm sure that when you see this disconnect in other people's lives, sometimes your heart just is like, oh, you know, other people are seeing this disconnect and it's making, giving a bad name to Christ. But it happens the same when that disconnect is in our lives, but we probably don't see it as focused as when we see it in other people's lives, right? Um, A.W. Tozer writes about this tragic disconnect, and here's what he says. <clears throat> there is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is the gulf. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he has been examining two distinct and contrary religions. It appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. So the divorce between theory and practice becomes permanent. Truth sits forsaken and grieves until her professed believer followers come home for a brief visit, but she, but she sees them depart again when the bills come due. They protest great and undying love for her, but they will not let their love cost them anything. That thing's going off a lot now. <laughs> it appears that from the way James wrote this letter, um, that no issue is of greater concern than this one of of us living like this life of hypocrisy. 
He cares greatly that we do more than just hear and understand the truth. And that's only just the first part. He's equally concerned that we live lives consistent with the truth, following the hearing. James's intention is to instruct us in how to keep from living a duplicitous life. He even brings that up in the first chapter when he talked about praying and believing and not being a double-minded man. Um, so he wants us to have a life where our walk lived is not divorced from our talk lived. How to keep the scriptural truth from being disconnected from our activities and behavior in life is, is not the goal. So all the way through, we will see this emphasis in the book of James. And in a day and time where I'm sure many of you have heard unbelievers or even those who were professing believers who turned their back on God use this excuse um, that Christians are all hypocrites. I'm pretty amazed at how one of the first recorded New Testament scriptures, which some, a lot of scholars believe that James was written as one of the first um, recorded books, um, that this is what he wrote, that this is what he chose to write uh, in this area of living hypocritical lives. I mean, it was that important back then that God addressed it, this area of living consistent lives, that our actions would line up with God's truth. So as we look at verse 19, <clears throat> I want us to notice three initial observations right off the bat. Um, the truth that James is getting ready to share with the audience falls into three categories. First, it is a necessary and important truth. He starts off with just two words. Know this, my beloved brothers. Today we might say something, if we were writing it in a modern translation, we might say, pay attention or sit up and listen. This is important. Nothing I'm going to share is insignificant. So what we call that, if anyone's an English teacher in the crowd, is imperative truth, because it's, it's imperative that we get this. And that's what James is trying to start off with this verse 19. Second, I want us to notice that it is a family truth. Here we, he uses family terms. He uses the word brothers. Uh, most translations use the word brothers and sisters or the term brethren. So the point is that James is writing to family members, believers who have the spirit of God at work within them. So brothers and sisters here today, this is for us, family members. The third observation about this truth that James is going to share is that it is universal truth. Notice that he says, let every person be quick to hear. The word every implies that this is for you and for me. So please don't sit here today and be thinking as you're listening that uh, sometimes you know you get that, you hear something and you wanna just rib that person next to you. Um, that. Uh, just don't be thinking that I hope my spouse is hearing this or I hope my children are hearing this or if your children, you're saying, I hope my mom and dad are hearing this. Um, but this is for you and to me. So please take every bit of it personally because James wants you to. And I don't know where the phrase up close and personal originated, but James' message to you and me today is up close and personal. I think that's an, <clears throat> an old saying for anybody 35 and under, um, James' message is 
going to get all up in your grill. Okay. And, uh, and it did for me this week. In fact, there was a situation as I was even, you know, meditating on this passage where something happened at work and, and um, a guy just set me off because he was, uh, there was, there's a meeting that's coming up and, and a lot of us have to prepare for it. It's a deadline. And I was just asking for seven more days which wasn't unreasonable. And he kind of just bullied his way into like, why do you need seven, you know, why do you need it seven more days? And I was like, because it's seven more days, you know? And uh, anyway, we ended up not getting it. And, and so again, you know, we're gonna talk about slow to get angry. And, uh, and so God used this passage to get up in my grill. And, uh, and anyway, it just, uh, it made me think, why am I getting angry about this? And am I being quick to listen to you, God? Am I being slow to speak? Am I being slow to get angry? Um, so it, anyway, it was just a good, a good lesson for me this week. So let's move on, though. Now, he begins with some very specific instructions. And um, <clears throat> a lot of times as we're preparing messages, you know, we might go to look at some commentaries and it's interesting, but like, you'd be surprised but some of these commentaries on one verse, verse 19, someone could write 10 pages on it. And sometimes you're just like, really? I mean, I actually have like four books on the book of James and you read, all, you read some of these pages and you're like, guys, it's pretty simple. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do we need to write 10 pages on this? And, um, and I'm not saying that, uh, that there's not some good points and commentaries. In fact, I, I, I use some of those points. But, um, but sometimes I think God is like, don't overcomplicate it, right? It's very straightforward. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's not, that's not complicated. But what I see here is that James is laying down the big picture of a posture that we need to cultivate towards God's word. Um, now, when you hear preaching today, when we talk about the word, we typically are talking about the Bible. And I'm so thankful that God saw fit in his providence to move men to compile many of the apostles' teachings in one place, which we know as the New Testament. And you'll see here in verses 19 through 27, James uses the word word or law about five times, but it's implied many more times. And, and in the New Testament scriptures, when the, when the word word is used, you know that those guys weren't walking around with one of these because they didn't have one of these. Um, we're not gonna take the time tonight to look up all the verses um, that talk about the word, but what, when they gathered together, they listened to the apostles' teaching. They, they listened to letters that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote, and, and they passed on teaching from the words of Jesus. So in essence, the same words that we have access to in our Bibles and in the New Testament and the Old Testament, because they shared those um, scriptures as well, is, is what we're talking about with the word. So back to that word posture. In verse 19, James is talking about the proper posture we need to cultivate towards God's word. And first he talks about preparing for the truth. So some things we need to do 
some ways we need to think, some disciplines we need to apply. And this isn't rocket science. I see four of them and mentioned in verses 19 through 21, and, and you all see them just as plainly as I do. Notice first that you begin by having a listening ear. It all starts there. This is how we develop a posture uh, towards God's word. First one is having a listening ear. This is probably one of the most important. And uh, the simplest, easiest, and most common way of absorbing truth from God is to hear it. Um, But I might rephrase that a little bit. We need to listen to it. And there's a difference according to good old Webster's Dictionary. Hearing is defined as the process, function, or power of perceiving sound. Listening, on the other hand, means to pay attention to sound. To hear something with thoughtful attention and to give consideration. So so we need to start with a listening ear. So when you are in situations like during this service or when reading the Bible, I want to encourage you to approach the word with a posture of listening. Listen to words, to implications, to illustrations. Picture them in your mind. And this is why the second step is so valuable. Be slow to speak. This would come into the category of controlling your tongue. I don't know about you, but I never learn anything while I'm talking. And I'm not sure (laughs) if you do either, but... I do learn when I'm listening. And a good listener is able to even be comfortable when there are moments of silence, um, which I'm not very good at. Um, They don't feel the need to rush into the silence and fill it with their words. Sometimes silence allows us to better frame words in our minds. And um, even when when we're having a conversation with God or or reading his word, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to just put our minds in, in rest mode instead of trying to fill this, the empty space. A controlled tongue also means we are not blaming someone else. I'm setting aside all excuses. I'm not going to sit in the presence of God while his word is being declared and start an argument with him. <laughs> but my mouth is closed and I'm going to take it in. And that includes really the mouth in your mind, you know, that's, that's wanting to, to start having this conversation. So listening leads to learning. And as I, as I stay silent and keep my mouth shut, God can invade the secret places in my life. And we all have them. Um, these secret places things in our lives that sometimes not even those closest to us in life know anything about. That's where sin plays its games on us. It's where our motives hide. Um, it, it's, it's where the reality of who we are uh, really takes shape. And um, I think God refers to it as the thoughts and intentions of our heart in Hebrews 4.12. Uh, if you're taking notes, that's, that's a verse to note. And I thank God that he is able to reach down into those secret places. I'm going to read Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when I had rotator cuff surgery a few years ago, the surgeon's scalpel was able to reach my joints and marrow, but he was not able to reach my soul, or my spirit, or my thoughts and intentions. Only God's instruments can reach those. And God's surgical instruments are the words of truth. So at this point, our posture is such to where we're having listening ears and we're having a controlled tongue. And now a third thing he adds, slow to get angry. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this and thought, okay, I get the first two, but how does this even fit in to this section here? Well, in my opinion, it's because the tendency on all of our parts is that when the Lord is going to speak to us, and when he gets very specific sometimes, perhaps speaking through a pastor or through a person who is teaching a class or through a friend, and yes, husbands and wives, even through a spouse, or simply through the words of Scripture during your own personal reading times, our tendency is to resist. And I think a lot of times as believers, we can sense when God is speaking to us, um, even through that other person. But like I said, our tendency might be to resist, maybe even get a little huffy, um, a little defensive, or a lot defensive. It might go like this. Wait just a minute. You don't understand. Or you've never been through this. Well, when the Lord puts his finger on an area, especially when it comes to another person, your immediate focus goes to deflect them to the 95, well, I'll say 95%. That's too, maybe that's too much. The 75% good aspects of your life in order to try to keep them from opening the door to the 25% that God is trying to get to. Well, a couple things. So we're really familiar with Hebrews 4.12, which I just read, but I don't want us to miss the next verse after that, which is verse 13. And it says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The thing is, God is never going to miss anything. No one likes it when someone is critical of us, right? Well, um, guess what the Greek word for discerning in Hebrews 4.12 is? It says, he discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Well, the Greek word for discerning is kritikos. And that's where we get our English word critic. So in essence, God's word is a critic to our innermost thoughts, desires, intentions, and motives. His word exposes those things. And when they are wrong, he reveals them as wrong. When we have the resisting, angry response of, what right do you have to mention that? Well, God has every right. To mention that. There is nothing that is hidden from his sight. The reality is, and if we had the proper perspective, 
The reality is that it is the grace of God for him to point things out to us because he knows that our lives will be more full of joy the more we become like his son and he will be more glorified. But if he were to just let us stay in, in, in these secret places, um, then our, our lives will not be as joy-filled as, as he knows they can be. And he said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Now back to James 1, verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we are angry, righteousness is never the result. So that's three things. Now he says, we're ready for the fourth step. <clears throat> he says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's the fourth step. So this step is really like just preparing the soil in the garden in the springtime. I'm not a gardener, so I just wrote this down. It could be all wrong. But I assume that, you know, in the spring, you're going to have to prepare the soil for whatever you, you, you planted in the fall. And there's probably weeds. And I, I know that people put um, stuff down to get the right nitrogen or whatever mix in there. But so this, but this step, getting rid of all filth and wickedness, is, is just think of it as preparing the soil in the springtime before planting the crops. If you just left the soil as it was from the fall, then, and then planted the seeds, then the growth is not gonna be all it could be, if any at all. So now, those are the four things um, of, of getting ourselves into this posture of being prepared for the word. And now we come to the place of receiving the truth. And it says to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So obviously, how should we go about receiving the word? Well, the first thing is our attitude should be one of humility. Nothing to defend, nothing to prove, not attempting to impress, just willing to accept it. And that word receive here is the word for welcoming. It's like a word that, that has to do with hospitality. So think of it this way. Every time you are in the presence of God's word, you are saying, Lord, I welcome you to come in and speak to my life in any area that you wish to address. I invite you to do so. Not only on the day we gather for services, but every day. And don't forget that God can speak his word to you, not just from a talking head up here, but um, by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you one-on-one -on -one, and through other spirit-filled believers. So is our attitude, please, Lord, please use any and all means to speak into my life. A humble heart will desire that the word would go deep into the soil, not just land on a hardened surface. And it would increase many-fold. And notice that it's the implanted word, that is the word that makes its way into the soil that has the effect on saving the soul. The new covenant that God promised believers is that he would put his law in our hearts and he would write them on our minds. And as it says in Ephesians 1.3, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, we were saved. But the word of God is not done with us after God used it to bring about our new birth. His word becomes a permanent 
part of our lives intended to transform us into the likeness of Christ. That's what it's talking about here. It's, it's um, yes, the word, the seeds were put into us and, and caused us to be born again, but God's word wants to continue to have an effect in our lives um, on, on a regular basis to bring us to sanctification. So I hope you see the value of having this posture towards the word of God, specifically as it relates to the issue of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy looks like it's interested in changing, but deep down it's it's got an attitude of, I'm not, I don't want to change. It's dug in its heels, so to speak. And anger helps keep you there. It, it resists change. But when you humble yourself and lay down your arms and you calm your spirit, you are saying, welcome. I'm inviting you, Lord, to come and take charge. Show me what you need to show me. Well, the second part of this message will be, there's the second part of this, uh, the end of this chapter. The second part will be our response to receiving the word. Now, obviously, if we have no interest in receiving the word, or our hearts and minds are not in a posture to where we are welcoming the word, then the second part of the message has absolutely no value, okay? So let's close in prayer and ask God to help us to be a people who are just dripping with hospitality to open the door of our hearts to the word of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I'm just, I'm thankful for your word, God. I'm thankful, God, that you preserved your word, the apostles' teaching, the words that you spoke when you were on the earth, God, and that we can just see what you have to say to us and giving us instruction for how we can have tender hearts and good soil, God, to um, have your word and just blossom in us to, to produce fruit, God, a hundredfold. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to keep in mind these things that, that you spoke through James, God, that we would have these attitudes, God, to, to receive your word, God, that we would be a people that would be eager to hear and, and slow to speak and slow to angry and that we would um, throw off filthiness and wickedness Lord and so that the soil would be would just be just right for you to plant your word deep in us and, and it would just grow and, and, and produce so much fruit God. pray that you would just bring to our mind these things and I, I know this, this week in my situation, God, it obviously was at the forefront of my mind because I was preparing this message, but God, I pray that you would bring these things to our minds, Lord, on a regularly, even this week and, and beyond, Lord, for what attitude and posture we need to have towards your word. And uh, I pray that you would... Um, Help our, our discussion time, Lord, to be fruitful and that we could learn from one another, Lord, 
um, through, our, through our own experiences with listening to you. In Jesus' name, amen.